Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is July 16th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Lewis, you and I have said this for years, but God damn it, the CFL is an exciting game to watch. Anybody who watched this week's games, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, who, the CFL is great. I mean, yeah, there's only nine teams, but who cares? It is exciting football. It's a great, great brand of football. And I don't understand these people who are like NFL or nothing because I, hey, I love the NFL too, but I love the CFL. It is, it's an exciting game. Yeah. And uh, anybody who didn't watch the CFL this weekend, the, uh, the Argos and Alouettes put on a touchdown clinic to end that game off. It was back and forth. It was exciting as hell. Then, um, sorry, listener Trevor, but Ottawa showed the Bombers how not to play a game, how not to get cocky when you've got a big lead. I mean, they were down, I think, 18 points in the fourth quarter, and then Ottawa came back, tied it, and then won it in overtime. And Calgary beat Saskatchewan by two points yesterday in the in the second half of the doubleheader. It was just, it's been an amazing weekend of football. Like, uh, yeah, anybody who's not into the CFL, this past weekend would get you into the CFL. No question. Yeah, and there was no blowouts just because the Lions weren't playing. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, go Lions. That's my team. Always has been. But but uh, you actually reminded me that Edmonton set a new record. Yes. Yes. Get this, listeners. Edmonton has set a new professional sports record. Now, some of you may know that they have that they hold a couple of other professional sports records. Uh, I believe one was uh, not missing the playoffs for 33 years. Uh, and another was, uh, I think, five. Uh, I, I'll have to look this one up, but I think it's the five championships in a row that they had in the early 80s. Um, two you know, professional sports records. Well, they've added another one. And it's not one that they want to advertise. They have now lost. 20 straight home games. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't know, Tony and I actually met each other at, uh, at an Edmonton Eskimos game. Um, this was 23 years ago, 20. No, gosh, five. It might be 25 years ago now. Yeah. 25 so, years yeah. ago. Yeah, we won. So we met 25 years ago. We sat at opposite ends of the same row, or no, you sat at the opposite end of the row right in front of me. And, um, and because Tony, you know, misguidedly was a, uh, is a Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan. Um, (laughs) when the ride town, I would give him a really hard time. I would yell at him. I would, you know, ridicule him even if the riders won i would still just ridicule this guy in front of the whole section and uh and then when the when the lions came to town he would do the same to me and uh and in fact there were several people like several season ticket holders in that section that we would do this to um namely the uh the woman from calgary that sat six rows directly in front of me um where at, right at immediately after the uh the kickoff i would yell hey lady calgary sucks and she would give me the finger and (laughs) that went on for five years and uh and and now when i got married to my wife the the uh all the season ticket holders in that section came to my wedding so I mean, we we had such great camaraderie there, and um, so the but but the, the the thing I'm getting at is that when when Tony and I had season tickets, the Eskimos at the time, the Eskimos, um, they were 
the darlings of the CFL. That was the team that everybody in the CFL wanted to be. They were the flagship. And it seems that Titans fall and they fall hard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but uh, well, it'll turn around someday when they change their name again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And make sure it's grammatically correct next time. That would be good, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Canada. Um, two quick housekeeping notes. Well, maybe not so quick, but number one, uh, Olivia Chow has now suddenly uh, changed her mind and said, hey, um, the Canada-Toronto Fuking Business Association and the Confederation of Toronto Chinese Canadian Organizations helps out my campaign and sent volunteers without my knowledge or without my, uh, you know, my asking for it. Of course, regular listeners to our show who listened about a month and a half ago know damn well that we reported that she actually met with both of those organizations soliciting support in her election campaign. So, so you, our listeners, are ahead of the curve and can call out call BS on her claim that, well, I didn't know they were they were supporting my campaign and bringing swarms of volunteers. And let's now give you an update as to why she would say such a thing. As it turns out, the uh, Canada-Toronto Fuking Business Association and also the uh, Toronto-Canadian organizations have uh, ties to the United Front. The United Front being that uh, Chinese Communist Party group that deliberately seeks out Chinese diaspora communities in foreign countries in order to push Chinese Communist Party propaganda in those countries. And just just so happens that the Canada-Toronto Fuking Business Association just happens to have an office in the same building in Markham where one of the alleged Chinese police stations operates. Isn't that a coincidence? So, um... I guess no wonder Olivia Chow is saying, oh, hey, I didn't know those guys were there. I, I had nothing to do with it. Yes, you did. And we proved it. Yeah, and we knew about it. I think I think you brought it up about six weeks ago, or yeah. even maybe a little longer than that even. Might have been six or eight weeks ago you brought that up. So, I mean, yeah, don't lie to us. I mean, you, she knew. She had to have known. Because she, there's a photo of her with the uh, with the with the people who run those organizations. I mean, she knows. Like this is. I mean, how, if we knew, she knew. Well, exactly. Yeah, and so I mean, for her to say now that, uh, of course, now the news comes out. Oh, oh, I, I didn't know you went and met with them, lady. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> and and and. and for those of you listening, thinking, oh, the Fu King Business Association, that sounds fake. Nope, that's the real name. Yep. Yeah, it is. So, um, yeah. yeah, well, as we've said other times, good luck, Toronto. Uh, elections have consequences. So. <laughs> they, they do, yeah. All right. Second housekeeping note. We, we talked a little bit about corporate welfare last week. And, well, as if on cue. Swedish company Northvolt AB has now announced that they are looking to build an electric vehicle battery plant in the Montreal area. And they've announced they will be seeking help, quote unquote, from the Canada and Quebec governments to the tune of about $7 billion. At least that's the value of the plant anyway. And they'll be looking for, well, as much as they can get from the Canadian government. So how much do you think they'll get of that $7 billion of our tax money, Lewis? Uh, I'm going to say about double. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say they're going to get about $15 billion. Yep, they'll, uh, yep they'll, they'll start building and then say, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need the same deal that Stellantis and Volkswagen got. And, well, they'll get it. So, uh, yep, more. EV battery plants in Canada. We're going to have so many EV batteries that we're not going to have enough cars to put them in right away. 
And who called that? I mean, who said that was going to happen? Um, I believe that was us. It was. <laughs> oh my God, listeners! You tell your friends that you listen to these two prognosticators <laughs> who know what's <laughs> going to happen before it does. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I get. We could almost be the the experts, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> except we're never <laughs> wrong. Yeah. It's <laughs> the the experts are always wrong. So no, we we're not experts. Yeah, there we go. So, <laughs> all right. So now we got our housekeeping out of the way, Canada. On the show today, Trudeau flops. Ontario powering down. Affordability issues with interest rates. Mary Simon and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, let's start with Trudeau flopping. Yes, this is Awesome. Um, we'll start with the funniest one first. Uh, at the Calgary Stampede, there's always a there's pancake breakfast every day during Stampede. And Lewis, you know this well. You lived in Calgary for years, and uh, there's they have these events all over the city throughout Stampede. And the politicians swarm into Calgary every year to uh, to get photo ops of these events. And always you'll see the Premier of Alberta, the Prime Minister, and other prominent politicians about flipping pancakes at these pancake breakfasts. Now, Danielle Smith, since her and her husband own a restaurant, was actually quite good at uh, flipping pancakes and serving them up for Albertans. Justin Trudeau, of course, said, hold my beer, and decided he would go flip some pancakes. And it's, and I'm so glad these that there's so many cameras around nowadays. Justin Trudeau grabs, well, the wrong pancake, flips it, it's not ready to be flipped yet, it splatters everywhere on him, all over the griddle, on other pancakes. And I just thought, this is proof that this moron has probably never cooked a meal ever for himself. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> knowing when a pancake is ready to be flipped is one of the easiest things to do in cooking. I mean, so Justin, <laughs> next time you wait for it to stop bubbling. When the bubbles yeah. stop bursting, it's time to flip it. Yeah. And, and here's the funny thing. I mean, Lewis, you and I know this because we've been in politics for so many years. These are staged events. His handlers should have been telling him, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, now flip it. But of course, yeah. Justin, being the moron he is, no, no, I got this. And oops, I don't got this. Yeah, well, and I mean, the thing is, is that you know, Justin, it, it, for, for those of you who don't know, right, but these, these things are photo ops and they, and they really last for maybe five to 10 minutes and then they get moved on to doing something else uh, to get photo ops somewhere else. And, and so, I mean, this was like probably the simplest photo op that he could do and he messed it up. Um, but He's not the only one who messed up some photo ops at the uh, Calgary Stampede. So did Danielle Smith and Pierre Polyev. Uh, they ended up taking photos with a guy wearing a straight pride shirt. Um, now, this one is a little bit easier to brush off. Um, I mean, first of all, the straight pride shirt if you just read the top of it said thank a straight person for your existence today right and i mean there's nothing hateful about that there's absolutely zero hateful about that right um if you continued down at past the uh you know the bathroom figures of a man and a woman under that and saw at the very bottom it said straight pride you might have you know, maybe wanted to skip taking a photo with this guy just because of the optics, right? But if you only read the top part, eh, you might, you might, there might be a little bit of a red flag there to not take a photo with the guy, but still, right? But again, like Danielle Smith said when she was on, when she, when she gave an interview on the news about it, she said that you know, there's 
700 people in line to take photos with you. You don't read the shirts when they come up to you. Um, the people who messed this up were her handlers, right? The people who were organizing the photo shoot, the people who were, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, or, or ushering people through for the photos. They should not, they should not have let that guy pass through. And Pierre Poliev, same thing should not have allowed that guy to his handlers shouldn't have allowed him to uh take a photo with the guy um now speaking of pierre polyev i got to see him uh in penticton he put on a great speech the guy he is such a a a engaging public speaker and i was really impressed and um and he really got the crowd going and and everything. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with him. I'm impressed with his wife, too. She gave a little speech beforehand. Um, and uh, and I just uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, it was he, he said he said everything I wanted to hear. So, yeah, it was really, really good. And I uh, can't wait for him to be prime minister. Yeah. And you had sent me a picture of the crowd too. the. Uh... I can facetiously say very small smattering of people, but the room was absolutely packed. Looked like there was probably a couple thousand people there. Yeah, there was there was probably just over two thousand people, and uh, which is which is you know quite a bit for any political gathering in a town of thirty five thousand people. Well, especially when there's no election going on right now, and there's uh, you know there's no no campaign for leadership. There is no election yeah. even you know in the near future that we know of and yeah he's just on a cross-country tour and he's still drawing the same kind of crowds he drew when he was running for leader it's amazing yeah well i think i think it just shows how excited people are that that you know that he's going to you know quite possibly be the next prime minister uh because he's he's saying all the right things he's he's talking about you know um making sure that uh, that we have the right laws on the books, not you know, and that we that we save money rather than overspend money, and uh, that Canada. And he said this. His exact line was that when he wants to make he wants to ensure that Canada will be the freest country on earth. Um, now, I don't know how that's possible when we don't have a constitution that backs that up. And you're never opening up the Canadian constitution because Quebec will make sure that the whole thing is written in their favor and nobody else will agree to that. So they'll never have any uh, constitutional um, backing to make sure that that the government or the Supreme Court doesn't trample all over our rights. Um, so I don't know how he's planning to achieve that. He might, he might be able to achieve that in the short term, but once a liberal government takes control again, uh, there's nothing standing in their way of, of, you know, just taking a giant dump on our rights again. Right. Um, so I really don't know how he, he plans to achieve that, but I love that he has that ambition that he wants to. Um, achieve that so you know that that's the he's still saying this which is which is great because you know like max bernier said he's not going to say this stuff anymore once he's leader well he is i mean so so hopefully you know he continues saying this during a general election too um i mean that's the real test is during a general election is if he keeps saying these things during that um because you know i mean it's He's still saying everything that he said during the leadership campaign. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty impressed with him still so far. Excellent. All right. Well, let's go back to our current prime minister. Um, Cause we're not done with his flops yet. Uh, <laughs> he decided to, while in Calgary for Stampede, he decided it would also be a good idea to lecture the Calgary Muslim community. Cause um, those watching the news know that the biggest uh, gender ideology and schools protests were in Ottawa and Calgary. So, so Mr. Trudeau thought it would be a good idea to lecture Calgary Muslims about gender ideology, that they're really just being fed a bunch of misinformation by the American right 
on gender ideology. And really the schools are trying to protect LGBT kids and perhaps the older generation of Muslims don't quite understand, but it is the current generation and the younger generation of Muslims that quote, need to stand up for everyone's rights, including the LGBT blah, 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 LMNOP community. And I just thought, that's a great message, Mr. Trudeau. You should stick with that. Really stick with that. <laughs> does, does he um, does he understand that Muslims are even less friendly to all this alphabet people BS that, than Christians? And he just assumes everybody's on board with him. I mean, people have been you know, you know, saying how Muslim ideology or hard uh, or, or uh, what is it? What would you call it? Um, you know, the uh, the the extreme Muslim ideology. I, and I wouldn't even call it extreme because it's pretty much mainstream um, Muslim ideology is it does not uh, jive with general Canadian ideology um and, and people have been saying that for decades and and we were and those people were always called um racists and xenophobes for saying that so does that mean Justin Trudeau is now a racist and a xenophobe for saying what he's saying because he's kind of calling into question their belief system oh that's a very good question so um <laughs> And he uh, he continued to flop right after he left the stampede after lecturing the Muslim community. He decided he would lecture Canadian Armed Forces troops serving in Latvia. And I don't understand why he thought this was the right venue. But while in Latvia, he decided he was going to lecture Canadian Armed Forces troops about climate change back home and how the climate change back home causing forest fires floods and rain, et cetera, will, will be affecting the world soon. And that the Canadian Armed Forces need to be prepared for that. And I thought, these guys are buying their own helmets because your government is too bloody incompetent to supply them with equipment or even cook when they're in Poland for that matter. But you're gonna lecture them about climate change, you effing moron. This guy is yeah. so Tone deaf. Yeah, well, and I mean, he's he's talking to them about climate change. These guys are on deployment. You know, like they're there for other reasons. And he's over there and he's he starts talking to them about the challenges and the uh, and everything that the military will be facing soon and all this and then drops the big bomb and it's climate change. I mean, everybody's thinking, oh, it's going to be Russia. It's going to be Russia. It's going to be Russia. Nope, climate change. And he and he talks about it, you know, how he's thanking the military for their service in dealing with the floods, in dealing with the wildfires. All this. These guys are on deployment. Like, you think that's what they're worried about? <laughs> I think they're more worried about bullets flying past their heads. You know, yep. like, and 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 our prime minister's over there talking about, you know, how we're so thankful that they're there to help us with floods. Yep. <laughs> you know, you 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 moron. Okay, like, you're buying weapons for Ukraine that Canada doesn't even have in their own arsenal. You know, and and. These soldiers have to buy their own body armor. They've got to buy their own helmets because the Canadian military doesn't have enough to supply them with them. They the uh, they have to, you know, make do with World War II handguns until they finally get replaced. They they have to make do with with uh, you know I what did they say we have like seven tanks. We have seven tanks and and that we gave four of them to Ukraine. I mean, what we are we are starving 
our own military of weaponry, of defense, and of food in some cases. Like you mentioned, I think that they don't even have chefs over uh, in um, uh, on deployment right now. So they have to make their own food. I mean, what the hell? What's going on? Like, there's, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Tony. I think there's something bigger going on that they're just distracting us from. Well, I mean, the, the NATO summit, when all the NATO countries said that 2% of GDP spending on defense needs to be the floor and not the ceiling, and when they pointed out that Canada is only spending 1.29% in, you know, the company of Luxembourg and Belgium, uh, Justin Trudeau, of course, tried talking his way around that, that, well, I mean, we're doing other things and we're always there for NATO. It's like, yeah, but you need the Americans to give you a ride anywhere. And, well, you've got equipment that needs to be fixed. And then you've got, you know, British nuclear subs in the Arctic because you don't have any of your own that can deploy under ice and you use the canadian coast guard icebreakers because your military doesn't actually have any so um yeah quit being an international laughing stock and maybe actually supply the military justin just 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 try that but let's let's also be fair at the same time this is not a problem that started with justin trudeau oh no no I, absolutely i mean this is this is a problem that that uh that stephen harper didn't fix this is the problem that Jean Chrétien didn't fix. This is, in fact, Jean Chrétien exacerbated the problem a bit by, you know, canceling a helicopter order that ended up with dozens of of Canadian, uh, you know, airmen dying in crashes um, because they were flying helicopters that that were not airworthy anymore. Um, we, you know, this is a problem that just that, or that Brian Mulroney did not fix, um, and this is a problem that that you know, Pierre Trudeau didn't fix. I mean, this is a problem that's been going on for decades and decades. And no prime minister has been willing to solve this problem, to put this problem behind us. Not even, you know, the prime minister that was pro-military, which was, you know, Stephen Harper. Um, we We need to start funding our military properly or else we won't have a military anymore i mean we're already having such a problem with recruitment that they that they think that allowing face tattoos is going to solve the problem it's not going to solve the problem um this is the military is a the short uh staffing the short uh uh Funding of the military is going to be one of the biggest downfalls of this country. It already is becoming one of the biggest downfalls of this country, but it is going to be a key player in the downfall of our country because we have no, no methods of self-defense. <clears throat> and we all know from history that the U.S. is beginning its decline as the world superpower. Um, they're not going to be able to defend us soon enough. And we won't be able to defend us. We won't even be able to defend Vancouver Island. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a big, big problem because I mean, people pretend like the Americans are always going to be there to protect us. Well, it's not their defense. It's not their, it's, it's not their responsibility to protect us. It's our responsibility to protect us. And keep people keep pretending that the U.S. is going to be the world's superpower forever and that nobody would ever dare attack Canada because they don't want to deal with the U.S. Well, that's only true as long as the U.S. is the world's superpower. And we're already seeing their decline as the world's superpower. So that's not going to stay like that forever. And, and, you know, it'll be sometime in our lifetime that the U.S. is no longer the world's superpower and we won't be able to defend ourselves. No, that's right. So uh, from superpower to green power, Doug Ford seems to have forgotten all about Dalton McGinty 
and has now announced that Ontario is going to invest more money in wind and solar power. Oh, to, my uh, God. He's got to clean up Ontario's electricity grid, to which I said, Ontario already has 60% of their power from nuclear, and to their credit, they're going to expand some of that. So that's already quite clean energy, but they want to uh, they want more wind and solar and hydroelectricity. Thankfully, they said they're not going to ban natural gas power generation, which is 10% of their grid. But do they not understand that Dalton McGinty and Kathleen Wynne went down this road not very long ago, and it ended up with Ontario having the highest electricity rates in the whole continent. But yet, yep, they're talking about investing more in wind and solar again. Not just the, but not just the highest rates in North America. It also resulted in Kathleen Wynne losing an election. Good point. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like Doug Ford, you're an idiot. I mean, this is this is not the road you want to go down. I mean, wind generation is incredibly uh, unreliable. Uh, is you know on the cost. Um, benefit analysis is not good <laughs> uh, solar is the same thing it's not good by the time your savings like your financial savings on solar is achieved you know by using free energy from the sun as opposed you know but the cost of the panels and the infrastructure for them by the time the savings over um traditional power generation is achieved all those panels have to be replaced i mean those panels have to be replaced every 20 years i mean you're the, this is and they're and from what i understand they're not even recyclable and the uh and the uh the same thing with windmills i mean the blades and everything have to be re replaced every every so often and they're not recyclable and uh and solar the solar actually is not that efficient um this is actually something that that i heard elon musk talking about on a podcast once and he was talking about how there's like the, the host said that power you know solar is going to get better right it's going to get more efficient and he said, no, it can't. It can't get more efficient because a square meter of only has so much energy in it. And they're capturing it all right now. Like you can't improve the efficiency of solar panels because you can't uh, you can't make a square meter of of sunlight have more energy than it has. So they're not going to get better. They can't get better because they're already capturing all the energy from the sun in a, in a square meter, right? Like you, that's, that's just the way this works. And so solar is not good. It's not efficient. It's only about 21% efficient, something like that. Um, windmills are only, only good if it's, if the wind is blowing and not if it's blowing too hard, they lock them down if it's blowing too hard. So don't put your money into that and don't put your money into hydroelectric put it into nuclear nuclear is the cleanest form of energy we have so put it into that yep but no that's i guess that's just not the doug ford green way so uh that'll actually tie into our last topic for the day and that's affordability which they won't have and well they don't have if you're in toronto because now that the Bank of Canada has hiked interest rates to 5% and four out of five Canadian mortgages have not been renegotiated since interest rates started to, to uh, accelerate, mine being one of them. We're actually up for our renewal two months from now. So, uh, oh, yeah. So I'm not going to have a lot of fun uh, negotiating that one. But uh, anyway, so now we've got a 5% interest rate and it's said that it's going to go higher. This is the highest rate in 22 years now. And, well, you've got fuel up with the clean, clean fuel standard. You've got grocery prices 
still climbing at 9% food inflation. And I'll give Pierre Polyev credit. He left the, the price stickers on the grocery store shelves when he did his press conference in a grocery store, unlike Christopher Freeland, who went to a high-end grocery store and had the price tags removed. And now housing is going up again. Housing prices and uh, the sales haven't gone up, but housing prices have. And so then I thought, well, we had 500,000 newcomers last year and we only managed to build 75,000 new homes. So there's a bit of a discrepancy going on there. So I, I just want to say to our younger generations, nine out of 10, I believe it was Gen Z, or my, yeah, I think it was nine out of 10 Gen Z said, yeah, we don't think we're ever going to be able to buy a home. And I know the number for millennials is quite high too. I don't remember the statistic for millennials, but we can't let our younger generations lose hope. And right now, our younger generations are, are struggling just to pay rent or even find a place to rent. And you've got people who are in their mid to late 20s still living with their parents because they can't even afford to rent a place, let alone buy. And it's getting worse. Yeah, it is. And that was something actually that just, or that, uh, uh, here. Pierre Poliev at the uh, at the rally that I went to, and he said that Canada is actually last in the OECD for new housing uh, new housing starts as a percentage of your population, I believe is what it is, and we're last. Like we have the fewest. Uh, home builds happening in our country and we have one of the highest percentages of um uh immigration and so he said like this is a problem right i mean our population just hit 40 million i mean 40 million people i mean when i was a kid we were right around 30 million so we've we've you know, increased our population quite a bit in the last 40 years. And, but we have, but we, we're the slowest country in the world when it comes to approving building permits. Like we take, it takes, in Canada, it takes longer to get a building permit than it does in any other first world country. So we have, we have the fewest home builds happening and we have one of the highest uh, rates of, uh, of 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 immigration. So I mean, we're not we're not in a very good position in this country. And and there's a reason why our houses keep going up and up and up in cost. I mean, and and it's happening really fast. I mean, my own house has increased by a million dollars, a million dollars in four years. Wow. And. I mean, who can afford that? If I was entering the market right now, I wouldn't be able to afford my own house. Yeah, and well, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna, gonna stay there on the, uh, and you're not even in the most expensive housing market. The uh, I found a printout of the top five most expensive housing markets in the country, and you're you're not even on that list in the Okanagan, and yet you've got to be a multimillionaire to get into it in the Okanagan. So the most expensive city to buy a house in right now is Vancouver. I don't think that surprises anybody. Second on the list, Toronto. Also shouldn't surprise anybody. Victoria comes third. Then Markham, which is right in the GTA. And then Nanaimo is, is fifth on the list. So you've got three cities in BC, two in the GTA. And, well, two of those BC cities are on Vancouver Island. So uh, BC is not sounding like a very attractive place for uh for young families wanting to get started. No, it isn't. It's not even close right now. I mean, you say that we're not even on the top five list in the Okanagan for for uh, for for being the most expensive in the country for housing. But what we are at the top of the list for is your the uh, the oh what is it the ratio between how much you make and how much housing costs, like the housing affordability. So 
the, the average income in the Okanagan versus the average house price is number one in the country. Oh, it's actually the most expensive. The Okanagan is the most expensive place in Canada to buy a house. If you are a working stiff. So if the average income in the Okanagan is not very high. Most of the money in the Okanagan is from people who live in Alberta. They they own a second house here or people in Vancouver who own a second house here. And, you know, none of the houses that are right, almost none of the houses that are right on the water are actually owned by people who live here year round. And there's all kinds of houses. I mean, there, there's a reason. Okay, there's there's many reasons why housing is so so expensive. You know, and and in the uh, where we live here, I mean, it's not just buying a house that's really expensive, it's rent as well. And the reason that rent is so high, I mean, there's a few reasons. The BC government has put in so many protections for tenants that it has become an absolute nightmare to be a landlord. Uh, they have they have banned evictions without cause. Well, what if I just want to evict these people? What if they they just don't look after the yard? They don't, um, uh, you know, they they're they're just not taking care of the place. Nope, not good enough. You can't evict them. You can't evict them for renovating the place. You can't evict them to sell the place. Uh, there's a lot of things you can't do um, as the owner of your own house. They, you, they, you're not allowed to raise the rent more than the government says you're allowed to. And in most years, it's around 2%. Well, the, the, the property tax increase last year on my house was 10%. Ooh. So, if I can only raise the rent by 2%, but the property tax is up by 10, I mean, how is that fair to the owner of the house? I mean, why is it that it's up to the owner of the house to subsidize your living? It's It shouldn't be. So, I mean, there's there's so many rules in place to make it, in, so that the tenant actually has more rights to your house than you do, and you own it. And yeah, so, so, so many, many landlords have stopped renting and are doing short-term vacation rentals now. In in Summerland, where I live, there are. It's a town of twelve thousand people, and there are four hundred and fifty short-term rentals in our town and that's and but there's a, a shortage of housing for people there's a shortage of rentals well there's a reason you know there's there's a reason why there's a shortage of rentals and it's because the government's made it so difficult to be a landlord and to own a house that you rent out that people don't want the headache yeah no kidding it, government's getting in the way Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, this is this is the problem. And there's not enough supply. If there is an overabundance of supply, prices would come down because there's too many houses and not, none of them are selling. So they would lower the prices and then they would start selling again, right? I mean, there was there's a condo in Penticton, a condo building that, that they just put up for sale this week. It was over 300 units, I believe, in the in the condo. One bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedrooms. And the one bedroom started in the high 300s. And the whole building sold out in 72 hours. Wow. Unreal. Yeah. So now let's look at the other end of the scale here. The There are some still affordable markets to live in in Canada. Even though, I mean, I live in one of them, so I can tell you that the supply isn't really great in there either. But the five most affordable housing markets from cheapest uh, going up, 
Regina, uh, Quebec City, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Red Deer, Alberta. Now, before the show started, you and I had a little little laugh about what those five cities might have in common, Lewis. <laughs> Nobody wants to live there. <laughs> yeah, they all have the crappiest winters in the country. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and a few of those also have quite the uh crime problems too. Yeah. Winnipeg, yeah, Winnipeg, Regina, Saskatoon, and Red Deer all have very big cr crime problems. Yeah, so uh, so there's a reason that those are affordable places. And uh, at least I can attest by living in the third cheapest jurisdiction that you can get into uh, a smaller bungalow in a decent neighborhood for less than 300000 So... You know, for people who are in southern Ontario, say, what, 300,000, sign me up. But then you show up and you have five months of winter. Nah, they they tend to say, um, this is BS. <laughs> well, and that's not even, uh, that, that, that won't even get you into a, a one-bedroom condo where I live. Well, exactly. And the same with downtown Toronto. I mean, uh, you might, you might get a bedroom in someone else's condo for that, but you're not <laughs> buying the whole condo. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Oh, crazy, man. Crazy. But yeah, and the, the rate with the interest rates keep going up like this. There was a builder in Calgary who uh, actually said they had 12 units that they had negotiated a year and a half ago and, and then began the process. He said they've actually now had the, the buyers for 10 of them back out because now with interest rates going up the way they were they can't close the mortgages so yeah and we so just started. had the and, and the bank of canada just raised the interest rates again this week and and they're going to be raising them again next month they've already said they're going to so i mean this is this is uh i mean where does it end right i mean this is what we've been talking about for for a couple of years now i think i first brought it up two or three years ago that you know, the next recession is not going to be a normal recession. It's going to be stagflation. It's it's going to be the economy is going to go into recession or rather get, be, become stagnant. And but yet our inflation rate is going to remain high. And the reason I said that was because of all the money that the government was printing during COVID. Um, that's that. When you, when you, because inflation, the inflation rate is not being driven by an overheated market. It's being driven by a, a, a massive, massive influx of money into the economy. And that massive, massive influx of money into the economy was created by the government, not by foreign investment or, or anything like that. So what they've done is they've actually devalued the, the dollar and and no amount of no amount of interest rate increases is going to stop that um so what we're going to end up with is we're the worst case scenario which is a stagnant economy and a massive inflation rate and and that's where we're that's where we are at the moment because our economy has stalled i mean we we've, we've had you know two consecutive quarters of negative growth but that negative growth is very very small it's like it's less than one percent um so we're not it's not like a a big you know drop in in uh gdp it's just it's more stagnant and it, the, the economy just isn't growing it's not really retracting but it's not really growing either and uh but the inflation rate remains really high and this is something that that we've been saying on this show for for two or three years now yeah and uh and so you know it's again it's one of those things i wish i wasn't right about but it looks like i am and and it sucks because i didn't want to be right about this no exactly so uh so let's move on to our final topic of the day for someone who doesn't actually care about how much of your money she spends and doesn't really care about inflation because it's your money. And that's our representative of our head of state. That would be Mary Simon. Now, it uh, 
just came out last week. I got it from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, but it's hitting a lot more media outlets now. In a four-day conference in Iceland in 2022, our Governor General expensed $71,000 in limousine expenses for a four-day conference in which her hotel was only 500 meters away from the convention center. So let me first say in her defense, I would never expect our head of state to walk half a kilometer to a convention center for purely for security reasons. But 71 grand, give me a break. Well, I don't know why we wouldn't expect them to walk 500 meters. I mean, it's not very far. Well, um, I just anyway. think that there's a sniper somewhere on top of a building. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all about security. I'm okay with her not walking, yeah, but I'm all about security too. But at the same time, I'm also realistic about it. There's nobody out there trying to kill our governor general. Um, it, nobody. First of all, nobody cares about Canada that much, and second of all, nobody, nobody even outside of the country even knows what a governor general is. Um, and 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 if they do, they know that that person has zero power. So, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you couldn't walk 500 meters. She walks 500 meters in Ottawa, probably. So, um, where people do care who she is. And um, so, but I mean, the, it wasn't even this, you know, the $71,000 for the limo, that was a lot. It's a lot, but I don't know why people are fixating on that when you when you look at the rest of the costs. Um, so, yes, the limo cost. OK, so they kept the limos on retainer the entire time they were there while they were in the conference, while they were sleeping, everything. So those limos cost a thousand dollars an hour. Ooh. OK, so they they. And they it says they had they had 16. I think they said they had 16 people, her and 15 others for this uh, that were over there. But for the life of me, I can't figure out who these 15 people were because um even the article that I was reading about it only lists eight. Her, her husband, her secretary. Her director of communications, her strategic communications manager, two aides, and her official photographer. I count eight. So who are the other seven? Yeah, interesting. So I don't know who the other seven are. Now, this four-day trip cost a total of $298,000. So four days. Jeez. For four days. So three nights in the hotel was 115 grand. Uh, an additional $10,000 was spent organizing a reception called the Friends of Canada reception. <laughs> uh, part of the total expenses for the trip included $18,600 for a pre-visit conducted by an undisclosed member or sorry, undisclosed number of staff members from August 28th to September 1st. So they, those staff members uh, were responsible for pre preparing for Simon's arrival a few weeks later. Um, the cost of the pre-visit also included a bill of $6,400 from that same limo company. Um, now this is... This is um, this is not the first time that Mary Simon's travel bills have been exceedingly high. So in October of 2021, Simon took a four-day trip with her husband and 31 other people to a German book fair. This trip cost taxpayers $700,000. In March of 2022, Simon went on a week-long trip to the Middle East, which cost taxpayers $1.3 million. 
Simon and her entourage spent $103,000 on in-flight catering for the German trip and $99,000 on in-flight catering on the Middle East trip. Now, the Middle East trip, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation reports that the in-flight catering was beef wellington and apple-stuffed pork tenderloin. Now, that's stuff I've only ever seen on, like, really high-end restaurant menus. Like, really high-end stuff. Um, now, on the Iceland trip, the in-flight catering has not been totally uh, disclosed, I think. But, oh, no, no, sorry. They has. And someone on the trip ordered beef steak. I got to figure out how to pronounce this one. Uh, beef steak bourguignon with mashed potatoes with, at a cost of $602 for one, for one plate. $602. And the dessert of mousse with crumble and strawberry sauce cost $238. Oh my God! Have you, have you ever seen a dish cost six hundred dollars on a on a on a restaurant menu, or a dessert that cost two hundred and thirty eight dollars? I haven't. I mean, I have never ever seen a meal cost that much in my life. Uh, and in February, Simon traveled to Finland to talk about climate change. However, the plane she flew on used. 25,000 liters of jet fuel, which is the same amount of fuel needed to power 22 cars for a whole year. Now, that's, that's what was used for her jet. 25,000 liters of fuel to get her to a climate change conference. And for some reason... Simon had a 15-minute speech and then answered questions for 10 minutes at that conference. Now, I don't understand what it is that she knows about that warranted her going to a climate change conference. I mean, she has no power in the government. She is not the Minister of Environment. Um, she's not a scientist. Uh, so why was she there? And why was she giving a speech? And why did, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand what she was doing there. I mean, this this for me is just the latest in a long list of, of, of ev evidence that, that shows that our government just does not give a crap about us as taxpayers. They don't have any respect for the tax dollars. And they believe that the money is just coming from an endless pit that, that they can just keep spending and spending and spending and spending and they don't care. I mean, this is, if you want to know who the elites are, the elites are not who the, the you know, Justin Trudeau wants you to believe the elites are. They're the elites. They're the ones that are spending your money with reckless abandon. They do not care if it results in high inflation they don't they don't care if it means that you know your additional tax bills and in, in the fuel the, when it comes to like the uh the, the the clean fuel standard uh or the additional um carbon tax that you have to pay every year because it goes up by 10 bucks a ton every year um or your income tax during with with bracket creep um, it, they, they don't care. They don't care that you are having trouble making your bills. They don't care that you are having trouble paying or, or uh, paying for food to feed your family. They don't care. They will spend your money the way they want to spend it because it means that they get to live a lavish lifestyle that you don't get to, and it makes them special. And but they're doing it with your money. Yeah. 
And that's a, that's a good way to wrap the show up right there, actually. They don't give a crap about your taxpayer dollars. They don't give a crap about you, the taxpayer. So, uh, all right, well, thank you for joining us, Canada. I'm glad we could end it off on a more sour note for you. Appreciate that, Lewis. We're uh, we're always here for you, Canada. <laughs> and uh, until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>